I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What's up, everybody? How you day? How you day? We're back with another episode, and today's episode is following Marion's episode, which was about the gig economy. We're now moving towards how you can work while you travel. Or how you can travel while you work, depending on how you see it. It's all about understanding how to take whatever it is that you do for a living and turn that into a lifestyle while experiencing the world. Today's guest is Greg Kaplan, and he's found a way to do that while having a full-time job. But before we dive into the episode, I want to introduce our sponsor for the month of July, and that's Plastic. Now, when it comes to business, you're the boss. And it's tough running the day-to-day and making sure that there is enough money to pay the bills. That's where Plastic comes into play. They can help you keep your business cash flow running smoothly. Plastic is a service that makes it possible to pay bills like rent, tuition, and mortgage payments, and even invoices by credit card when you ordinarily wouldn't. Seriously, you can pay virtually any business expense with a credit card from suppliers to employers to your commercial lease. And here's the kicker. You're still earning cash back points and rewards every time you use plastic. Once you open a free account, just add a credit card, enter your mortgage or bill details, schedule a payment, and you're done. You're done. Plastic will send a check to your mortgage company or bill servicer and charge the expense to your credit card. Et voila, your rewards are on their way. So if you want to take advantage of this, all you need to do is go to plastic.com forward slash nomads. That's P-L-A-S-T-I-Q dot com forward slash nomads. That's P-L-A-S-T-I-Q dot com forward slash nomads. Go to plastic.com forward slash nomads. And when you sign up and make your first payment up to $1,000, Plastic will waive the transaction fee. That's P-L-A-S-T-I-Q dot com forward slash nomads enjoy the episode in a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors cross-cultural expert tayo roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide each week he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Greg Kaplan. We are going to be talking about working while traveling around the world. Greg is the founder of Remote Year, which is a basically a company that allows you to do, you know, to have jobs while you travel, but also explore the world. And as you can imagine, when 
his information came in, you know, in my inbox. I was like, this is something, this is something that we have to, to dive into because we're all about cross-cultural communication here as well as making an impact in the world. So we're going to be diving into his story as well as why he really felt like this was something that needed to be out there in the world. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you so much for having me, Tyo. Pleasure is mine. So I always start off with the, uh, the young version of, of the person that I'm talking to. So talk to us about young Greg and, you know, what led you down this path of, of remote year? Yeah, that sounds great. So I actually grew up in the suburbs outside of Chicago. And uh, if you've ever been into a, a suburb in the United States, I think you could probably pretty adequately picture what it was like growing up there. Um, very safe, very pleasant, very nice. Um, and uh, we lived on a little cul-de-sac. And when I was five, my parents met this guy named Selwyn Butler. He's a Kiwi guy from New Zealand who was in the States and needed a place to stay for a couple weeks. So they invited him to come and stay at our house for a few weeks, and we really hit things off. Uh, he basically became a brother uh, hmm. to me and, and, and my two brothers, and that few weeks actually turned into over five years that he lived with us. And uh, we had such a good time inviting Selwyn in that we just started to invite more people to stay with us. So next we had... Ben and Daniel, two brothers from Australia, stay with us for a couple of years. And then we had Evan from South Africa, and then Benji and Luce from North Africa, and then Aaron and Avery from Russia. And so growing up, we had all these different people living, us, living with us for extended periods of time from all over the world. So although when I was young, I didn't get the opportunity to travel or live abroad that much, um, I did have this opportunity to have this really like global, global community and global uh, experience from from our little cul-de-sac in suburbia. So that that opened my eyes to um, the fact that you know globally we're all just so similar, right? Our mm-hmm. wants, our needs, our feelings, our emotions are just just so similar. Obviously, we eat different foods and didn't have a lot of fun trying uh, Marmite and Vegemite from uh, my <laughs> New Zealand and Australian uh, brothers, but but you know essentially we were all the same. But the other thing it really opened my eyes to is is the power of community. And I, I just thrive on being with big groups of people all the time. So whenever I do anything, I start with who am I going to do it with rather than what am I going to do because of how thriving and robust our, our sort of little model UN community was in around our dinner table every night. No, no, so that's, that's so, so interesting to me because, you know, before we hit record, we were talking about my personal experience at such a formative period in my life, the, you know, whether it's the dictatorship or me traveling and finding myself as this minority everywhere I lived, there's an interesting way that that plays an impact into people's lives. And I find that a lot of people sometimes don't go back to that childlike versions of themselves. A lot of times as we grow older, we, we become quote unquote realistic and, and we lose a lot of that, I guess, idealism or, or hope or positivity. What about, what do you feel, what do you feel the experience of, of having, you know, people from Kiwi, uh, the, the Kiwi people, as well as Australians and, and uh, people from South Africa live with you. What experience did you feel like that uh, gave you that you ultimately use today? I mean, all kinds of experience. I think, uh, you know, just understanding and empathizing how similar people are. You know, when you, when you watch the news, it's easy to really see people who live across the world as different um, mm. and, and not understand that, you know, what they're going through is essentially the same as what we're going through. And you know, watching the news, it looks like everywhere across the world is, is very dangerous and different, and it's easy then to stigmatize them and not 
um, empathize when bad things are happening to them. So you know, one, one story that for me was pretty eye-opening later on in life, um, after we started Remote Year, we were, we were going to Istanbul. And this was at, during the uh, Syrian refugee crisis, um, which is obviously neighboring on Turkey. So lots of the refugees, over 400,000 of them, um, fled into uh, Turkey, and many of them moved into Istanbul. And along with that, there was sort of increasing levels of, of violence, but also of terrorism. So lots of folks in our group were, were nervous to go to Istanbul because of the rising uh, pattern of violence and terrorism that was happening. And you know, we have a security partner. We were monitoring it, and it was you know essentially pretty safe to be there at that point still. Um, but but there was still like this 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 notion of 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 safety and risk that was um, bubbling up. And so I was in Istanbul, and I was living there. And I went to dinner one night with a couple Turkish guys who I had just met. Um, I was talking to them about you know their lives and my life. And um, at one point, one of the guys asked me, you know, where where are you from? Where did you grow up in in the states? I said, oh, I'm I'm from Chicago. And he sort of paused for a second, looked at me, and said, wow. Chicago, isn't it dangerous there? <laughs> <laughs> and it was really an eye-opening experience for me that somebody growing up in Istanbul and Turkey during this sort of uh, pattern of violence um, recognized Chicago as a really dangerous place. When I grew up there, I was in the suburbs. It was incredibly safe, and it still is incredibly safe, but the perception that others have about where I'm from personally is how dangerous it is. And, and those kinds of experiences really, for me, help illuminate the fact that, you know, we're all just people. Um, it's all relatively similar across the world. And it's just that, you know, we have this um, mass media influence making us think that people are other. And I think that um, what that ultimately does is it creates uh, a movement towards stronger borders because they think people that are other than them or different than them are, are in some way dangerous. Yes. And I think by having these type of experiences and understanding how similar they really are, we can not only empathize with them, but I think the, it can make the world a much more peaceful and productive place, right? Because Absolutely. we can then not go to war with them, not put up these big border walls um, and enforce all these border requirements, and, and therefore allow people to connect with each other and, and actually transact and do business with each other, which you know, many, many economists have shown over time, makes the world um, more not only more productive, but, but is we're not living in a zero-sum game where when we do trade with each other in a very fruitful and, and impactful way, um, it makes everyone better off. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, Greg Kaplan for president. Uh, he, you, you, heard, <laughs> you heard him run for his candidacy here. <laughs> it's about happening. But I always there's a scenario I always explain with this. With this, so me being in America here. So if I come across someone from let's say Zimbabwe, we can connect right. with the, over the fact that we're African. Um, right. but, um, if I, let's say I go, I go back to, um, I don't know, Nigeria, it then becomes, oh, what tribe are you from? There are over 250, 250 tribes there. And then we're always looking for something different. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're about your house. And then if you, you know, you go, you, the further you drill down, it, there's always people looking for the differences and right. I, or the similarities. And I'm like, why is it that when we're far away from home, we bond over, <laughs> over like, oh, yeah, you know, you're East Africa, it doesn't matter, we're still Africans. And when you come back to the continent or wherever you are, like, ah, nah. And it could be the same thing with, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Chicago, L.A., whatever. But it's always an interesting thing. Like if, an Amer if two Americans find themselves in Germany and they, they're sitting there amongst a sea of Europeans, they're going to be like, that's my American buddy. I'm going to hang with that person. 
And so totally. there's that innate natural instinct for us to go with, the, with people that are similar for us, but sometimes we forget that when well, we're back home. And totally. like, that is the, it's always, well, I always remind people of that. And so, well, so humans are inherently social, right? Yeah. And, and, and what defined sapiens, right, was our ability to socialize. So starting off from the, the origins of humanity, right? Um, so people socialize in order to, to help each other um, productively be safe and eat, right? And so they, they form these bands of hunter-gatherers of, you know, a, a couple dozen people. And, and that couple dozen people at that point were the notion of us, right? We, that, this is our group. We're this group of hunter-gatherers, and we're going to work together to protect each other and to live safely and peacefully, right? And then as humanity evolved into the future, yeah. um, these structures, these social structures, which are the, co- the core piece of humanity – grew with them, right? And so after hunter and gatherers, they extended out, extended out, and you had these little settlements and you had these villages where they would work together and it required more people in order to, to, to cultivate and harvest crops, right? And so you had these sort of little civilizations where people would stay for a while for, for the mutual benefit, right? And the notion of us increased from a few dozen to a few hundred people. And then next after that, there was another increase in this notion of us where we built these city-states, and we built the, the big walls around the city-states to protect from predators and all kinds of things and develop more complicated agricultural system. Um, and then the notion of us at that point extended out from a few hundred people to a few thousand people. And over time, there's a general arc where the notion of us over the next few thousand years extended out from a few thousand people who were us in a city-state as differentiated from them, the city-state a few hundred miles away, you'd be warring for territory. And then eventually the, the, the techniques and the systems and the processes of military and agriculture, et cetera, extended and created things like currency, which allowed people to have these structures that supplemented their old structures to expand their notion of us to a greater number of people into what became nation states, right? We mm-hmm. are all French people because we have a French king, we have a French defense system, we have a French agricultural system, we have a French monetary system, education system. And the notion of us then with these sort of systems and processes expanded out to something larger into what was hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Well, I think if you look at that arc over the longer period, yes, it goes up and down and up and down and in, 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 the, in, in small micro increments, right? But over the long term, I think this notion of us, which extended from a few dozen original sapiens up to what's now these nation states or multi-nation states of over a billion people that we can, can connect with as us. Like you said, we're both African. Us is African. And that, that notion, I, I believe, is comfort in us and danger in they, right? And yeah. I think social structures are evolving again. It's gonna, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's happening before our eyes where with the digitization of things and communication flowing more freely – I think the next evolution of the notion of us is to go from this subset of humanity to all of humanity. And I think that that's happening over the next period of time. I just don't know when it's going to be. And I think that there's things that we each can do to build those bridges and expedite the formation of the notion of us extending to all of humanity. And I think that it's a very powerful thing. Once it does happen, then we can stop fighting amongst ourselves for resources and instead unite together as one globalized community and face the existential threats that we 
um, are going to be faced with over the next few hundred years, like global warming, like disease, like hunger, um, together as one universal us. Well said. Oh my goodness, that was like, that was like a class of uh, the history of humanity there, and that and I, <laughs> and I studied that. I study. I you know you know I read a lot of these books, and like I said, with my experience is the same thing that I've learned, and that was what you explained is the actual premise of this podcast. So when I launched it in 2014, it was. You know, I was thinking with the digitalization of the world and the globalization of the world, we have this interesting paradox where the world is is simultaneously smaller than it's ever been, and as well as it, uh, as it is big. And so, right. you know, people are connected. I can connect to China. I can connect to India. You know, just as much as I can connect to Chicago and Nigeria. But a lot of times, what's happening is people are not really familiar with how to connect across cultures as quickly, and so they react with like the question uh, your friend asked you. Oh, isn't it dangerous over there? You know, and when I when I first came here, I used to get a lot of people singing Lion King songs to me, or you know, or like <laughs> any ridiculous. Oh, trust me, I you, I get this almost all the time. Even just yesterday, uh, at a picnic, someone thought it was funny to say some interesting things. But these things are there's a lack of information that 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 um that people have, but it's also an opportunity to get that information. And so that's what this podcast hopefully does to fill that gap. But you did a fine job of, of connecting that with the world, because I think we do forget that and we focus on the wrong things when we're trying to find uh, uh, differences. But that's, that's um, something that your company does, but I'm sure with, with the exposure. But before we dive into uh, remote year, because I really want to get into why you started that, I want to talk about your entrepreneurship journey, the people here who are entrepreneurs, Problem solvers, aspiring problem solvers, aspiring change makers. They want to do something. They want to have a legacy that matters. You went on to found Obaz, which is a fashion company. Is, am I saying that right? Obaz? Obaz. Obaz. Obaz Online Bazaar. Obaz. Gotcha. A fashion company that was acquired by Groupon in 2013. So when you graduated from college, did you go immediately into entrepreneurship or did you work somewhere and then get into Obaz? Yeah, so I've, I've actually started many, many different ventures throughout my life. I had uh, a few t-shirt stores when I was 15 in high school. Um, and fast forwarding, I had political message boards in college. I had uh, all, all different types of, of uh, ventures that I've worked on. And uh, when I graduated from, from university uh, at Michigan, uh, I met this, this serial entrepreneur who uh, lived in Chicago named Brad Keywell. And he said, and I was pitching him a, a mobile food ordering app that I was starting actually. And he said, this isn't going to work. You're not going to make this possible, but come work for me. We'll try a bunch of stuff together. We'll see what happens and, and we'll go from there. So I, I actually graduated early and went to go work for him, uh, evaluating other people's businesses and also starting a bunch of businesses um, in Chicago. And so doing that is sort of the evolution uh, became Obaz, which was sort of an e-commerce marketplace instead of tools for the new, um, the, the changing environment that we saw, which was that a lot of commerce was moving away from search onto social, and that would have massive implications for discovery and tools needed in order to enact that. And so we built a, a whole suite of tools for uh, essentially sellers that would be found on, on social versus search, and uh, that actually technology was, was acquired by Groupon and now powers a whole bunch of their uh, marketplace business, which is actually a pretty large business for them now. Um, so those are sort of many different pieces, but, you know, to tie it all together, I've always been, you know, focused on, you know, what's changing, what are some interesting things that are happening, and what am I passionate about, and what sort of brings all of those together. You should celebrate yourself every day. 
But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, to, to try to um, solve some problems for other folks in the world, um, which is a little bit different than what happened with Remote Year, which is, I think, a little bit more of a personal story. Yeah. So... Um, when I when I was at Groupon, I spent a year at Groupon, and I, I was really working nine to five, right? And I would go into the office every day with the same commute, um, do sort of the traditional, uh, you know, go into the office, you know, waste a few hours reading email and chatting with friends. Um, you know, you look at your watch, and all of a sudden it's almost lunchtime, and then you go to lunch. And and this 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 environment of working nine to five, which was fairly new to me at that time, um, just just didn't feel right. So I I really wanted to change. So before I just you know quit my job, I wanted to um, figure out how to have a sustainable lifestyle that was a little bit more flexible. So I went out to my network actually first, and I started to ask people, you know, I am thinking about uh, taking some time. If there's anything that you're working on that um, is particularly difficult for you that might work um, well with you know lending a hand from my experience and skill set, let me know. So I was just talking to a bunch of people um, about that. And uh, <clears throat> after just a month or so, um, lined up my, my first, what I'd say is a client, a consulting client, um, to help them with their digital marketing strategy. Because I'd built a bunch of tools in there, I'd spent a lot of time there. Um, I lined up my first client to help out with building their digital marketing infrastructure strategy and process. So. Before I quit Groupon, what I decided to do was go out and find myself some sustainability um, from a financial perspective. And that was an annual recurring monthly contract with this company to help them on an ongoing basis. But it afforded me the flexibility that I didn't need to go into the office every day and I didn't need to be in a certain spot. So for me, that was the first thing I did going from what was a traditional nine to five into a much more flexible lifestyle. So I lined up that that relationship um, and began. And when I, whenever I talk to people who want to go out and be entrepreneurs, be problem solvers, I say to them, before you start building anything, first set yourself up to be sustainable and flexible. Because it's so important that while you're doing this, you're not burning through whatever cash you might have saved and then going to be out of luck and in the back in the hole in, in a month or two, right? You need to put yourself in a position to be sustainable. And when I say sustainable, what I was really looking for at that point was to go travel. I, I, I wanted to get out of Chicago because I grew up here and I was living here and working here and been here for a long time. And I wanted to go out and spend some time living in other parts of the world. I, at that point, was kind of fantasizing about getting a really small place 
in either Italy or southern France and, you know, having a local bar, having a local coffee shop that I go into every day and kind of work and hang out and, and meet some people and explore the culture. Um, so that was sort of the vision that I had for myself is that I have some work that I could do from anywhere and go and, you know, relax and enjoy South southwestern Europe um, because I had this romantic idea of what that would look like. Mm. And so I, I lined up this, this, this contract and I wanted to go travel. And the first thing I did when I went to go travel is at dinner one night with my group of best friends, I said, hey, guys, let's go get jobs that we could do remotely. I just lined this thing up, which I can do, and I know you guys can do it too, and let's all go travel together. Let's go do this as a group. And my friends kind of looked at me like I was crazy and said, you know, that, that doesn't really make any sense. We're, we're not going to figure out jobs that can be done remotely and go travel with you. We're, we're kind of happy where we are. And I said, oh. <laughs> that that sucks. I didn't really want to do this on my own. So what I did was I put up a website. Who wants to go travel together for a year while working remotely? And I put it on a very simple website, and I and I took that w- link to that website, and I sent it to a couple friends. And then what happened was they sent it to a couple friends, and then they sent it to a couple friends. And before I knew it, the first day, over a 1,000 people signed up to come travel with me. I said, wow, this is crazy. A 1,000 people? <laughs> A thousand people signed up for this little small like website I put together in five minutes, and I was like, "This is this is wild." And then over the next couple months, more people started to sign up and share it, and then people started to write about it. And we were in a couple different publications in the United States, and then next thing I knew, uh, different international publications were covering this tiny website that literally had a picture and a couple lines of text on it. Um, it was in the two largest newspapers in Brazil. It was in a, a newspaper in Spain. It was in India. So it started to travel all over the world and people were talking about it. And and at that point, it was literally just the, a notion of an idea that I was looking for friends to go travel with. Um, and it, and it kind of just exploded into to something so much more. And over the next few months, just three or four months, over 50,000 people signed up. And so at that point, I said, <laughs> I'm still in shock. wow, this is crazy. This is crazy. Um, and, and I was while this is happening, I was with it was my roommate at the time, uh, Sam Pesson, and talking to him about this, showing him what's happening, and asking him for advice because he actually was the son of a journalist and grew up living all over the world, so had a lot of experience actually doing something like this. So I was asking him for advice and talking through with him as this was all sort of happening around us. And then one day we were sitting together and having a drink, and I said, listen, man, I know you didn't want to come with me originally, but this is becoming something so much more than just a couple of friends traveling. You got to come on board and help me really figure this thing out. And so at, at that point, he, he finally agreed to, to come on and help me figure this out and, and join as my co-founder um, at Remote Year. And that's really when we started to say, this, this is going to be something more than just a group of friends. We're going to make this into uh, an offering to, to create these communities of people to travel around the world together because it seems like there's just so many people interested in this at a high level. And on the back end of that, it seems like there's some mega trends happening in the workplace that are making flexibility possible to more and more people, obviously starting with the tools and technology um, that allow people to communicate across the world much more seamlessly, but empowered much more pronouncedly by um, the cultural demand towards having more flexibility in their professional workplaces by the top 
uh, performers in the workplace. That is incredible. I mean, it, the, just your personal story with that and the idea of you starting a website and then that ballooning into thousands of people just speaks to the the concept we were talking about earlier that in today's age with digital media, you don't know what hits. You don't know who's watching and who's connecting. But it also speaks to that that primal need we have as humans, which is to connect and to experience. And I think a lot of times when we have jobs, we, we lose that. We lose that essence, the essence of, uh, of the idea that the world is bigger than us and, you know, there's something we can do. And part of why we lose that is because of this idea of that if we have a nine to five job and we have this, that means we're in a structured environment and there is no room for flexibility. But you've turned that on the head and said, you can have that flexibility and you can still travel the world. Have you faced resistance from, you know, people who say, hmm, you know, this is something I want to do, but my company won't let me do it. <laughs> De- definitely, actually, thousands and thousands of times. Um, I'll, I'll th- we've 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 had um, all kinds of people from all kinds of li- walks of life, all kinds of situations um, from all over the world uh, that want to come on a remote year. And the number one reason why ultimately it doesn't work out for those folks so they say my employer won't let me do it or I can't make this work with my job and we at remote year have been working hard on this and building this process called the employer approval process where we basically put together all these facts and figures and processes and best practices to help people make this work with their employer and we've gotten really really good almost 80% of people that go through that process with us have been successful getting their employers on board with the process. So although it seems scary and daunting, um, we have gotten really good at helping people have that conversation with their employer and be successful getting permission to do this kind of thing. Um, and it's it's really incredible to see. And the crazy thing that's unexpected is even the folks who don't get to a yes from their employer, generally, if they've done such a good job building the business case and the process out, even if they get a no from their employer, generally their employer says, no, you can't do this, but we really value you. We want you to have this new opportunity or this promotion or this other thing. So in, in almost all cases, um, when people bring this forward in the way that we've put together and created, they've had really, really incredible outcomes. But it's taken us a long time to get there, right? This is a new thing. There's, there's new processes, new structures for being successful and efficient, um, getting great work done. But we've also seen that there's tons of benefit, right? People are most creative and inspired when they're in surroundings that can inspire them. Um, And also, when people are not shackled to their desk with a 9 to 5, studies have found not only do they work harder, but they get more done per hour. So people get more done and are more inspired when they're doing this type of thing. It's just about bringing together the data points and the processes to get their employers comfortable with it. And we've gotten really good internally at helping people do that. Good. No, I like that. I like that. And sometimes, I mean, yeah, look, I'm, I'm someone that has left the job and been fired twice. So my relationship with work is, is very interesting in terms of that because I, I've seen it all. I've had, you know, the good and the bad. But what those three experiences told me was that sometimes it's, it's not a bad thing to choose yourself in the sense that they're, the job that you do, if it doesn't align with your passion and you're staying there for the wrong reasons, Ultimately, life is going to pass you by. And what do you want to be saying when you're 80, 90? Is it that you could have done something or you did what something else, someone else wanted to do? And that, that's, that's an internal battle that everyone has to go through on their own pace. But 
I, you know, I think it's something that we need to be reminded of because like, we, we almost we go through life where we get used to people telling us what to do, whether it's in school, whether it's parents, whether it's it's job. But sometimes we lose our own sense of identity. And I honestly believe that that limits a lot of critical thinking and, and our ability to solve problems. And so, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I, mean, I, I, I yeah. think I think, though, that it's although that is um, historically the, the, the situation I think that's no longer the case. I don't think people any longer have to choose um, between their professional life and their personal life and personal fulfillment and growth or professional fulfillment and growth. I think they're so interconnected now and so possible to be done together. Um, all people have to do is decide that they want to make it happen. Um, but they can. we've seen it. People are growing a ton professionally while personally. We've had lots and lots and lots of people get promotions throughout the year, grow and change to new roles and experiences. Um, and you don't, have to make that choice anymore if you do it you know the way that we envision more and more people doing it in the future and that's by you know being responsible and working and being sustainable while having this life-changing global experience exactly no that's well said um so then let's 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 talk about success stories and and um of people that have taken your you know they've gone on to remote year and they've been like wow this changed my life I was a little skeptical at first, but now this is what I'm. What, this is what I'm doing, and I want to do this more. I want to hear about you know some of those type of stories. Yeah, man. There's been, I mean, so many of them. I mean, it, and it looks like it looks different in in you know lots of different cases, right? There's there's two two main things that that people have, right? First of all, that's that professional piece, right? People being inspired and seeing the different ways that things come together and growing and changing as leaders and innovators throughout this experience, right, is, is number one. Um, but number two is this notion of community, right? As you, as you get older, it becomes more and more difficult to create these really strong connections with folks um, in your life. And seeing people um, be part of this amazing community of people and having this dynamic, life-changing experience together and how closely that brings them together is, is something like I can't even explain. Um, there's there's one person on on our first program who actually grew up in uh, a religious Jewish environment in the yeshiva environment and didn't have um, a ton of experience uh, interacting and engaging with people that were different than him in all kinds of ways. It was um, gender isolated, religiously isolated, all kinds of things. Um, and he was actually fairly young. He taught himself to program um, basically in his closet at night um, quietly and then decided he wanted to go. Um, and, and break out and have a new experience. And he, he found us through that um, discovery process and uh, joined our community as one of the first people. And it was insane to watch him go from a fairly uncomfortable person socially at the beginning of the program to really finding himself and his voice and his language and the way that he interacts with new and different people and watching him build that confidence throughout the year socially was something that I can't tell you how powerful it is. So he he came with a job that was able to be done uh, remotely, and that was great. But where he really evolved as a person was building that confidence socially with different kinds of people. Um, and then I, I met up with him a few months ago um, when I was when we were both happened to be um, in Brooklyn, and watching how happy he is because of this confidence and the social connections he's built and the life he's starting to build for himself is just, I can't tell you how powerful and amazing that is. Um, it's just wild. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So now someone's here listening. I want to be part of this. How can I join? What are the requirements? Do I need to have a job? What are the things that you need to do to be part of Remote Year? So everyone on Remote Year has their own job that they do throughout the year. But you don't need to bring a job that can be done remotely to us. We're, we're experts at helping people have that conversation with their employer. And if that doesn't work, uh, we have some tools for people to look for um, things that can be done remotely. But to get started, just go to our website, remoteyear.com. And we have a get started button that's all over the website. You click that out, you fill out our profile, and we have a program placement team which works with people directly to figure out how to make this work for them. And that's their job day in, day out. How, do, how can we help people make this work out for them? So go to our website, fill out a quick profile, and then get connected with one of our program placement consultants who will work through every single detail with you one-on-one to make this work for you. So go on the website. It takes about two minutes to fill out a profile. And then from there, you'll have a one-on-one relationship with someone on our team who will be your coach to walk you through the entire process. And we've done this now with thousands of people. So we're super excited to help you. And they're all, they've all been so diverse. So if you want to do this, get in touch with us and we'll work together to see if we can help you make it happen. Perfect. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so it's going to be, you know, uh, remoteyear.com. You can definitely check that out. There, there are a lot of resources there. I'm on the website right now. There are things from articles to programs and pricings. There are how it works, itineraries, and ways you can use it for business. They've been featured on CNBC, New York Times, Guardian, Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. So there, there, there's a lot of credibility behind it. But more importantly, I hope as everyone is, is listening to this, they're thinking about just the importance of exposure. If you, if you think about Greg's story and, and him having um, you know, uh, different people from different backgrounds come live with him, that ultimately changes life. And now having a platform that allows you to do that, it, it's it's more important now than it's ever been in a time where several leaders, uh, no matter where you fall on, on any political event, have interesting beliefs. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's, you know, I'm, you know, having grown up in a dictatorship, I've seen several what the power of that is. And so I, I hope that we all get to the point where we, we truly understand <laughs> um, each other and understand what it means to, to respect different cultures. And so uh, this is certainly a platform that allows you to do that. So I want to appreciate I want to thank you for that. Um, I, I want, before I go, I always ask this question. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. That's the, the mission statement of, of what I do and the foundation of everything that I, that I run. So how do you, Greg, use your difference to make a difference? Oh, first of all, I love that mission. That is so well said. Thank you. Um, our mission is uh, to make the world a more peaceful and productive place through authentic human connections amongst diverse people and cultures. And every day, that's what that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to expose people to diverse people and perspectives and cultures because, like I said, that breaks down those borders and barriers and I believe makes the world a more peaceful and productive place. And I'm so passionate about helping people do that across the world, and that's what gets me excited to jump out of bed every day and, and get to work. There you go. There you go. And I'll definitely make sure I put that in the show notes, but that is such an important mission, and I really want to thank you for, for spending – you know, 45 minutes with us. I think it's been a, an education of sorts. And so thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a very busy day. Thank you so much, Ty. I really appreciate the time. Super excited. The pleasure is mine, ladies and gentlemen. Till next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. 
Radio.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 